0: Pray, Holy Spirit, we pray that these be your words, not mine, and that you would speak to each heart healing and hope and wholeness and inspire us to go and do your work in the world. Amen. Okay, well, knowing the right way is important. Knowing the right way is important. I, um, there was a, a spate of crazy sat-nav stories illustrating sermons about 15 years ago, and they provide easy fodder for humorous illustrations and because I'm never one to pass up an easy chance to get a laugh, I figured I'd throw in a few today. This is a driver in Carmarthenshire who plowed straight into a river because his sat-nav told him it was safe to cross and he didn't notice the river until he was in the middle of it. This uh, this is probably my, uh, my favorite story. Uh, there's a minicab driver. Uh, who was following his sat-nav, and uh, he'd been hired by a, an aristocratic lady, I forget her name now, uh, to take her to see the football at Stamford Bridge, which, of course, is in Fulham. Uh, she didn't notice that he'd driven her to Yorkshire, to Stamford Bridge, about 15 miles outside Yorkshire, until she realised, outside York, rather, until she realised that she was 146 miles away from where Chelsea were playing. And here's a great one. This is the this is triumph of hope over experience. This is a 30-tonne lorry full of olive oil, which believed that it was possible to drive down a narrow Tudor street in Colchester to deliver his stuff to Waitrose, uh, because his sat-nav told him that was the quickest route to go. And, uh, yeah, I mean, disaster. Uh, 115,000 pounds of damage. Apparently, that caused 115,000 pounds of damage. Knowing the right way is important. Knowing the right way is important. There are times when we, we, the way we imagine is right, the way that most people take, the way to Waitrose that Laurie was following, is actually the wrong way. It promises much, but ultimately delivers little. By contrast, there are ways that seem hard to take and yet lead to life and success. And we have to know which is which, or we'll end up in the wrong place. You end up in Yorkshire rather than Fulham. Or we potentially end up turning the whole, our whole life over, as the lorry driver found. And I want to look this morning at what Jesus says about the way that leads to life. The way that leads to life. It's actually quite an important theme for Jesus. You might not know this because um, Christians have been called Christians now for so long that people forget that there was ever a time when it wasn't the case. But actually in the early years of the church, Christians were not called Christians, not for a few decades. They were called followers of the way. You can find traces of this if you follow through the book of Acts. You notice they don't become called Christians until late in the book because that's what, it, that's what happened in real life. They, no one coined the nickname for a while Instead, they were called followers of the way. Jesus used the phrase, the way, to describe himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so actually, the way that Jesus describes what the way is, how he describes what the way is, or the road that we should take, is important for understanding who he is and what he wants for us and for the world. So we're going to read. I'm going to read from the Bible. Uh, we read, uh, do five readings, and we're going to read first of all from the re- writings of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, and then we're going to read from the Old Testament, which is the teachings that came before Jesus and that set the scene and the path for what he was doing and what he came to teach, and then we're going to read from the writings that came after Jesus to show how people understood what he taught and put it into practice. So first we're going to read from Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 to 14. If you have a Bible, and I encourage you to have one, uh, the ones at the back, it's on page 972. And you can feel free to turn to all the other readings, but if you just want to keep one open in front of you, this is the one to keep open because this is the one that I'm talking from. Matthew 7 and verse 13 to 14. This is Jesus speaking. It says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Then we're going to read from uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is uh, the summary of what Moses taught. Uh, in the Old Testament. So it's it's, uh, what Moses taught to the people of Israel as laws and rules for how they should live. And uh, Christians understand that this sets the scene and guides us to how we should understand what Jesus came to fulfill. So if you want to read along with me, uh, then it's on page, verse 15, it's on the bottom of page 208, but I'll put it on the screen as well. Oh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 30. 15 through to 20. Moses said this to the Israelites. He said, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them... I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. And you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Then I'm going to read a poem. This is Psalm chapter 1. So Psalm 1. The first of the sort of worship songs of ancient Israel. If you're following along in the Bible, it's page 543. And I'm reading for verse 1. So what the poet says. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Or stand in the way that sinners take. Or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord... And who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. And whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Then I'm going to read again from Jesus' teaching. So, if you're following along with me, this is a tour of the Bible. John chapter 10. Uh, You might be thinking, this is a terrible faff. Why does he keep turning to different places in the Bible? Actually, it's because one of the key ways of understanding uh, Christian teaching and understanding the Bible is to realize that it all speaks to each other. Everything speaks to everything else. And also because I'm trying to teach you to use your Bibles. So... I know I've just drawn the curtain back on the magic, but that's what I'm trying to do. John chapter 10, verse, page, nine, uh, page 1076, reading from verse 7. Again, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. So just thinking about what I just said about the Bible commenting on itself, When Jesus says in Matthew 7, there's a narrow gate, it's helpful to know that elsewhere when he teaches, he says, I am the gate. So you see how it's helpful to read one bit of the Bible in the light of the others. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then finally, this is Jesus' best friend, John's, picture a prophetic imagining of heaven and what it looks like in heaven as people come to worship God together and so I'm going to read from Revelation in chapter 7 again page 1238 if you're following along I'm reading verses 9 to 11 John says this after this I looked he looks at his mind he's seeing a great scene in heaven in his mind And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Amen. Praise and glory, all wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. The small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. It's the word of God. I always give a summary of what I'm trying to teach. This is what I'm trying to teach this morning. So if if you take something else from this talk uh, and it's from the Bible, then bless you. If you hear me saying something different, then I've made a mistake. This is what I'm trying to teach. Following Jesus isn't easy, but it leads to overflowing life. That's it in a nutshell. Following Jesus isn't easy, but it leads to overflowing life. Following Jesus isn't easy, but it leads to overflowing life. The gate and path to life, the way of life, Jesus says, is narrow. So I'm going I'm to draw out, uh, yeah, I, I did an extra cartoon, There you go, look at that. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a cartoon, like, don't worry, the sat-nav's telling me we're going in the right direction, the future, and he drives off a cliff. I've got another one coming up in a minute, but I'm going to save that. The way is narrow. What do we understand by when Jesus teaches that the way is narrow, that leads to life? The gate and path to destruction is broad. Why is it narrow? The way to life is narrow, Jesus teaches, because it is the width of exactly one man. Jesus. The way to life is exactly the width of one man. Jesus. That's why he says it's narrow. Jesus is the gate. We don't, we're not guessing that. That's not me imposing that on the text. He says it himself. I am the gate. Again, the, the, the problem with Jesus' teaching is not that it's difficult to understand. It's very often that it's too easy to understand and too difficult to do. Right? It's not difficult to understand love your enemies. It's just really hard. I think very often we prefer people whose teaching is hard to understand because it gives us maximum leeway for not doing what they say. Jesus doesn't afford us that luxury. He's like really obvious. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Love them who persecute you. There's not a lot of room for manoeuvre. Jesus is the gate. He's the way. He's the path to life. Jesus is the gate. And that's why the gate and the way is narrow. Because it's exactly the width of Jesus. Now that has some implications for us. It means that you can't follow other paths at the same time as you follow Jesus. And that's something that I think we all need to hear. That following Jesus actually requires us to choose to go down that narrow path. And actually there isn't space on the path for other things. There isn't space on the path for other things. It's only the width of one man. So for example, we can't follow Christ and materialism. Uh, I don't know what wing of the church all of you are from. We're a very inclusive church. We like to welcome people from all over the church. Um, I think that's how the the Spirit of God moves. My background is uh, in a kind of Pentecostalism. And there's a real problem in that wing of the church, which has got lots of amazing things going on. Fastest growing religious movement in the world by a country mile. Transforming China. Standing up to oppression. And yet there is a problem, which is that there's a group of people within that movement who think that you can follow Jesus because he'll give you whatever you want. I will follow Jesus and therefore I'll get a Lamborghini. Right? And you see this manifested. Every time you see a preacher who looks really rich, who seems to have more money than anyone else around him, we should be suspicious of that. You can't follow Christ and materialism. We can't follow Jesus and say, actually, we want to get as much as we can for ourselves. He won't let us. The path is too narrow. I tell this story to the kids at the baby and toddler group. Um, it's based in one of Jesus' parables that's been, been taken and reimagined. And it's all about this camel who tries to get through a narrow gate, right? Tries to get through a tiny little gate into Jerusalem. And he comes loaded up with carpets. And you have enormous fun with the kids about this. You know, kind of, what noise do camels make? And you have to make a grumpy face because you're coming... a <laughs> camel. And the camel comes along and he, he, he comes in and he's wearing this extraordinary uh, saddle and carpets loaded up. And he's very proud because he's got all this stuff and he thinks it makes him better than every other camel. And uh, it's a kid's story. And you come up to the, he comes up to the gate and actually it's not until he's taken everything else off that he can get through the gate. At the point when he comes and says, Actually, I'm not, I do understand that none of this other stuff is, matters. He can get through the gate. And you get the kids to shuffle forward and they squeeze and they heave and they push and then they go through and everyone cheers, hooray! And you realise that actually he's left all of his stuff behind him. The gate's the width of one man, Jesus. And this is controversial in contemporary society. We don't like to say no to things, unless you're in Parliament, in which case you say no to everything. A bit political. You can't follow Christ and his Right, that's not, that's not a controversial point. If I, I have uh, had great discussions with uh, Muslim scholars. I used to share an office with a uh, lovely Muslim guy who was a colleague of mine in Barrister's Chambers. We're very good friends. He would, if I'd said to him, you can follow Jesus and Islam, he would have laughed at me and said, Phil, you don't understand anything about Islam. You can't do that. Jesus either is the son of God or he isn't. You can't follow mine and yours. You have to choose. Right? That's not to say I love him any less. I love him dearly. Seek is good. Pray for him. Wonderful guy. But I can't mock him by saying, actually, what you think doesn't matter. Really, What you think is really what I think. The path is narrow. It's the width of one man. We can't follow Christ and ourselves. You can't say, I want to follow what Jesus wants. And I reserve to myself the right to choose to react however I want to any situation I like. I want to follow Jesus, but I really don't like that person, so I'm going to be as cruel as I can. I I, I love you, Jesus. I hear what you're saying, but I have no intention of forgiving them at all. I love you, Jesus. I hear what you're saying, but my money's mine. I'm not giving it to feed the poor. I want stuff. I love you, Jesus. I hear what you're saying, but if they hit me again, I'm going to smack them on the nose. can't follow Christ and whatever ideology presently entrances our society. The, the fads, whatever, whatever it is. My Thatcherism, socialism, identity politics, whatever thing happens to be the new thing, we agree with it only to the extent that it agrees with Jesus. Because the path is narrow, it's the width of one man. The path is narrow because it means following and not leading. This is an expansion of what I just said. To follow Jesus is to surrender the right to determine how we want to react to situations and people instead of obeying Jesus. If this sounds bleak, I'm coming to the good bit in a minute. The path is narrow because it means surrendering the right to turn to the right or the left. That's why the path is narrow. It means that others can take revenge. Others can judge and condemn. Others can act from self-interest. Others can cultivate pride. Others can glorify themselves. Others can hate their enemies. Others can nurse a grudge at the mother at the school gate who doesn't seem to say hello to anyone. Others can gossip about her and spit. Words of venom and bile. Others can be in the office nicking the supplies and fiddling the taxes. Others can do these things, but we can't choose that because we're on the narrow path. And actually to follow Jesus is to surrender that right. Hey, (laughs) Kezzy. We have no choice but to forgive. If you're on the narrow path, you have no choice but to forgive. Through gritted teeth, if need be. Through gritted teeth. And it might be a while before it goes from your head to your heart. It might be you think, I don't really mean it, but we say it anyway. I forgive you. It's hard. Lord, help me to forgive him. I forgive him. Lord, she is such a cow to everyone. Help me to love her. Help me to love her. Because you teach me to. To put others first, to cultivate humility, glorify God and love our enemies. We have no choice. The way is narrow. You can't, you can't say, well, I want to follow Jesus. I want to go down the narrow path. But I want to bring along my pride or my bitterness or my anger or my hatred. Can't do it. There's not enough space. Here's a second one. The way is not popular. That's my second cartoon. The way is not popular. Or at least that is to say it's not the path that leads to popularity. This is what Jesus means when he says, but there are few who find it. We, we misread that if we imagine that he's talking about the kind of final state of humanity. That's why I, I read from Revelation. Every time someone comes to Jesus and says, Lord, tell me, how many other people will be saved? Jesus says, forget them. What about you? You can read about that. Luke 13 is a great example of this. I'm not going to read it now. We've read five readings from scripture. Luke 13. Go away and, and study it. Guy comes to Jesus. He says, Lord, I want, to tell, I want you to tell me. I know I'm in, but how many other people are going to be in? Is he? is she what about the Romans surely they're out Jesus says don't worry about them don't you worry about them I'll worry about them how are you doing how's it with your soul every time someone comes to him says that I mean we can be tempted to judge other people he or she is on path of righteousness he or she is on the path of destruction he or she he or she he or she Jesus says what about you the New Testament says that there will be a judgment for all and that on that day a great many people from everywhere every time will praise God forever. Did you see that in Revelation? From every tribe and every tongue, everywhere in the world, there will be people beyond count. Jesus is not talking about here about a, a final state of humanity. He's talking about what it means to follow him now. So what it means to follow him now. What he's saying is that to follow Jesus is to take a different path to others. is to stand out against the crowd. It will be hard because of that. To follow Jesus is to, make, is to choose differently from other people. Now, there will be times where the teaching of Jesus accords with what society thinks should be done, what our friends think should be done. Actually, in the West, because it's been so shaped by the teaching of Jesus, that happens a lot. Because society has essentially followed Jesus for 1,500 years, in the way that its values and its laws, there are lots of overlaps between what we think is good, what Jesus says is good, and what other people think is good. But there will be times, and probably as we move into a kind of post-Christian age in the West, even as even as Christianity continues to grow in the rest of the world, the West becomes less and less. Uh, willing to follow the teaching of Jesus, there will be times when we find that we are in the minority, when we are a minority voice. Indeed, if you find, and here's a tip on any ethical issue actually, whether you're a Christian or not, I don't know if everyone here is a Christian today, but here's a tip for you. If you find that you agree with everyone on everything, go away and work out whether you've really thought about anything. Right? The chances of people agreeing on everything are so slim when they've actually thought about it that there should be a warning bell sign being a Christian, following the narrow way, means being willing to stand apart because we follow something and someone greater even when it hurts us. Even when it hurts us. The path is narrow and few find it at the moment. Few have found it. In practice, this means choosing to do something that others won't. will give you a practical example of this. There are people who society will tell you it is beyond the pale to help. Go and help them. Go and help them. There may be times when, there is, when we need to show love and compassion to someone who society deems beyond the pale. Morally or because of prejudice. And at different times, in different ages, this will be different groups of people. In the 2nd and 3rd and 4th centuries in Rome, it was those who were suffering from Plague. When plague came to Roman cities, everyone would leave the city and they would run away from the plague and they would leave the sufferers behind. And at that very moment, the Christians, who were a tiny minority sect who'd been oppressed for 200 years, came pouring into the city and took care of those who were ill. So much so that you can read in Roman historians that they say, they say of Christians, we, uh, after recounting all of the things that Rome has done to oppress them, they say it's amazing. They care for their own sick and for the others who are not theirs. We can come closer to home. In the mid-20th century and the late 20th century, there were those from uh, communities whose uh, lives and lifestyles did not fit with majority values, even sometimes with Christian values, who were suffering awfully, and Christians should go to, sit, to be with those. We can think, in our village, what about when the travellers come and they're throwing stuff at people from the, from the parks? I'm not saying we should approve of it, but when everybody else is is spewing bile at them, we should be the ones who go and say, no, we love them and we should feed them. We should care for them because they're children of God just as we are. And Jesus died for them. It means the mum at school who is mean to other people and who everybody else thinks is a liability and sniggers about behind their back should be befriended by the Christians in their year. Even if it means that people think worse of us, sometimes it means not doing something that other people will do. And that can hurt. That can hurt. That can cost relationships, it can cost pride. I was with uh, my friend Alex uh, last week at a conference. Alex is a guy who I, I later found out I was at school with. You know, you have that experience where you meet someone several times and you think, I recognise you from somewhere and I'm not sure where it is. And then suddenly realised they'd been at school three years above me, even though he lives in Stafford now. Very odd experience. And uh, was there with him. Alex tells this story. Alex is a former Marine. Uh, One of those people who you talk to and you think, I'm I'm glad you follow Jesus because I'm sure that if you wanted to, you could kill me now. (laughs) Um, Lovely, lovely man. Passionate follower of Jesus. Came to faith after being in the Marines and going to university. And he tells the story of the most significant event in his life... Uh, led to him becoming a Christian. And it was that he was playing sport with a guy. I've told this story before, if you know it. And they used to express affection for one another by, uh, in a way that guys do express affection, which is to mock each other mercilessly. Right? Uh, men won't say, we, I really love you, man. What they say is, uh, "You know, I'm going to mock you for this reason. And uh, for Alex, they used to mock his hair. Ironically, now he's bald. Uh, He had long blonde hair. And for his friend, it was his faith. So every time they went into the sports changing rooms, they would rearrange his kit into the shape of a cross so that when he came back in, he felt stupid. Right? doesn't sound as funny when I say it out loud. This is how guys are. Lots of us. And one night, the end of the season thing, in a a room full of sportsmen and, and, and marines... Uh, they were having their end of year bash, everyone done up in their, in their black tie and in their uh, nice dresses and uh, the guys had organized it and it's a working class event in the north and they brought out the strippers. They brought out the strippers. And everyone's cheering and whooping and yelling and very quietly Alex's friend, I think his name was Paul, just got up from his table and said, you know what guys, I don't want any part of this. Don't want any part of this. I'll be back later. And started to walk out of the room. And at that moment, Alex says, there were people howling at him. I mean, yelling, abuse, whistling. An entire sports club room, you know, end of year thing, screaming at this one guy. And he walked out of the room with dignity. Didn't come back until the strippers had finished. And Alex says, I was standing there, yelling at him with all the rest of them. And inside, inside, I was thinking, what a way to live. What an extraordinary thing to be able to do. But imagine for Paul that moment where you think, I'm walking down a narrow path and everyone else is on a different one. Everyone else is on a different one. It's hard. Because it's not popular. I mean, I have examples coming out of my ears from Paul, Athanasius, Chrysostom, Luther, John Wesley. Archbishop Bell, who in the in the 1930s stood up in 1940 stood up in Parliament and said the bombing of Dresden has no military event; it's just bitterness and and revenge, and we shouldn't be doing it. It cost him the Archbishopric of Canterbury, the most senior. He was going to be made the most senior position in the Church of England. It cost him Bonhoeffer, who forgave the Nazis, even though they killed him and his friends. Why follow such a way? Well, here's the kick. It leads to life. It leads to life. It leads to life in two ways. Following Jesus, if we really commit ourselves and go wholeheartedly after him, leads to life for us now. That's what Moses was saying, is that actually if you... If you live the way that God teaches, if you live lives of pursuing peace, if you live lives of forgiveness, if you live lives of blessing others, if you live lives of gratitude, if you, if you live lives of, of wanting to show love, yes, there's pain in it. There's pain in it because people reject that very often. But actually, it brings you peace and joy and, and hope in your soul. Why? Because it's how you were created to live. So the way we were made to live. So it brings joy. It brings life. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul teaches, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Brings life. Following the Spirit brings life. For us now, it leads to life in the future. See, Jesus is quite clear that that there's there's eternal life available for all who, who want it. Actually, following the path of Jesus brings pain now, but actually, it, we need to fix our eyes on the, on the hope that lies before us. There are very, very good reasons, very, very good reasons to believe that life continues forever. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is one of them. The uh, I mean, philosophers. Do you, if you go, look up the philosopher J.P. Morland, he's written extensively on this. There are philosophers and social scientists and uh, psychologists who have done extensive work on this, on the experience of people as they come to the point of death and those who've gone in to die and then come back from death. The evidence is overwhelming. It's been the belief of humanity in almost all of the world through almost all of history for a reason, right? It's instinctively true. And Jesus is saying, I'm offering you that life and this is the way to it. The path path through the cross leads ultimately not to death but to resurrection life. So that's life for us. The way of Jesus leads to life for us now. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness and self-control. And it leads to eternal life for us. It also leads to life for others. To bring hope to others. I have never lived in an area of the country that suffers more with anxiety, depression, and hopelessness. I've never. I mean, I've lived in eight, nine different places in the country. I've never been in a place that suffers more with that. Now, I think different places and the people who live there have different things they struggle with. Right? In Cambridge, it's pride, hands down. No, I'm not joking. I'm not. I'm not saying it to make. Pride. Always has been. Actually, John Wesley found exactly the same thing three hundred years ago. East London, it's violence. Violence and family breakdown. So I led a Sunday school, made a youth group, pastored kids who I never, I never saw their parents. I mean, never, never. In the years that I was working with them, taking them away, I never saw their parents. Family breakdown and violence—that was the problem in the east. Round here, everyone's lovely. I mean, lovely. It's a lovely place to live. You can leave your car unlocked, and nobody steals it. I can't tell you the surprise in my mind when I really—I'm an absent-minded man. We were living in Connie's Close, and I, I came out one day, and I left the car unlocked the whole night, and it hadn't got nicked. And I was like, wow, this is... The... Heaven is a place on earth. We got back from church the other day, and I realized the door hadn't shut properly. The door of our house was open for two hours, and nobody stole anything. Right? No, I'm not saying there isn't crime, but I mean, I've got to tell you, somebody who'd spent years living in the East End of London what is going on with this place? Truly the lion is lying down with the lamb. And yet I do my work and I do my work with guys and I go around and I do my work with women and I do my work with kids and I've never been in a place in which people are struggling with deep-seated sadness and hopelessness more than here. Never. It's funny because we live in the middle of it and it looks really nice. And yet I've never been in a place that's a more vivid living description of what people say. What Jim Carrey, the comedian, said, which is that I wish that everyone could receive everything they wanted. Everything they wanted. They live in a place where no one is suffering. I mean, there are people in the area who are suffering from lack of food. But again, compared to East London, very few. People have amazing houses, amazing jobs, amazing amounts of money, amazing cars, beautiful kids. They're all well turned out. If they don't behave well, then we... Uh, We have a plethora of support services to support them. And I've never met a group of people who are sadder. If we want to bring life, life is found on the narrow way. If you want to bring life and happiness and the prospect of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control to your friends and neighbours, it's found on the narrow way. It's found on the narrow way. The broad way destroys souls. What happens to a child when you give them everything they want? It destroys their soul. We live in an area in which people have received everything they want and found that it leaves them happier than ever. The narrow way will lead to life for others. Alex, my friend, who shouted abuse at his friend who walked out of the stripper club, very shortly afterwards became a Christian and is now pastoring a church in Stafford that's grown from 35 people to 700 people in the space of seven years. Extraordinary work of God. He found hope and life because his friend walked the narrow path. John Wesley, who I talk about every week, because I think he has, he's a man who speaks to this time, walked the path of abuse, of physical violence, of exclusion from his uh, home, exclusion from his colleges, of being the most reviled man in England, and, brought, and planted a church that now uh, has influence in 600 million people worldwide. Started a system of discipleship groups that have led to people being free from alcohol addiction, narcotics addiction, being brought hope, brought peace. He encouraged William Wilberforce to abolish the slave trade. He was in correspondence with him. Took on gambling addictions, took on uh, alcoholic addictions in his own day. They, play, they started schools. Because a man was willing to walk the narrow path, others found life. Others found life. Because a man was willing to walk the narrow path that others found out. Now that might sound too big and too far away. So let me tell you my own story. Not out of pride, but because St. Paul says this. And actually I want to glorify God in it. At university, when I was at university first time around, I was uh, on fire for God. And uh, in quite a judgmental, hard way, actually. I would like to take my, my younger self aside and have a few words with him now. But I refused to do things that at that time I felt were going to be harmful to me or to others. I chose the narrow way and actually I suffered as a result of that and in various ways. And at the end of university, a girl came up to me who I was friendly with, but didn't know very well. And she said, Phil, I want you to know that my faith has come alive because of watching the way that you have behaved. I knew God, but my faith has come alive because of the way that you were. No, no it's no glory to me at all. And I, I, it was an accident. I had no intention of helping her. Right? I, I mean, I like her, but I didn't set out to do it. When you choose the narrow path, when you forgive, someone else sees the possibility of forgiveness. When you show love to someone who's unlovely, someone who's struggling with self-esteem and thinks I'm unlovely. I look great and I'm horrible on the inside, but maybe there's the possibility someone will love and forgive me. When you speak of hope in Jesus, there are those who are hopeless who will find hope because of you. The narrow way leads to hope and life and peace, not only for us, but for others. The end of the story about the Christians who went back into the city uh, to care for those who were suffering from plague is that by the time it got to the mid-4th century, the moral pressure for the Roman Empire to recognise and authorise Christianity was so overwhelming that two successive emperors set their lives to it. You want to understand how Christianity became the dominant religion of the Roman Empire. It went from being oppressed sect that no one loved and that everyone hated, the, the whipping boys of Rome, to being the dominant sect in the dominant religion in the, in the known world through the work of God and his Holy Spirit and through the love and compassion of Christians who chose the narrow way until it became impossible to deny it. It leads to life. What should we do then? First of all, come to Jesus, repent and be baptized, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. If that's not your experience this morning, if you want to embark on this way, if you want to say, I, I can see the way, I know it's the width of one man, and I want to walk it because I want life, then come to Christ, repent and be baptized, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. We'll leave space for that in a minute. You could do it today. Secondly, read the Bible and pray. Read the Bible and pray. I'm sorry that that sounds boring. Unfortunately, the way to find out what Jesus taught and how to follow him is to read what he taught and then pray about how to follow him. It's not magic. I went to a two-day conference last week on uh, leading churches and came away with it. The answer is to pray more. Oh, well, great, I have my money back, thanks. Such a really difficult answer, right? It's much easier to follow a program, much easier for someone to say, oh, what you need to do is change your music or change your chairs or change the walls. Or, it's quite hard to stand up and say, actually... I'm sorry, all those things are fine and do do them. The answer is to read your Bible and pray. If you want to be like Jesus, read your Bible and pray. Thirdly, reflect. Where are you choosing the broad path rather than following Jesus in the narrow path? It can be as small as I've been nicking pens from the office every week and building a tower with them at home. Is that what Jesus wanted? Well, he said, don't steal. Could be I've been horrible to the lady at school. Could be I'm actually hoarding money. I've built up a really nice little nest egg for myself that I have no intention of spending on anything other than luxuries, and I know someone who needs the money, and I'm not giving it to them because it's mine. Only we can answer those questions. Get involved in church and life groups. If you're on the narrow way, it can be lonely. That is why God gave us the church. Get involved in church. Without the church, you will not be able to walk the narrow path. Jesus knew that, so he made a church. And then we turn around and say, actually, I don't need it, Jesus. And he's like, oh, glad that you knew better. Finally, someone's come along who can teach me how people should become righteous. No, we need the church. Come to church. Come to life groups. Get involved. Get get involved with other Christians, and you'll find it easier. Come to the men's group. If you're a man or you know a man who's struggling, send him along to the men's group. Worship. Thank you, Jesus, that you've shown me the path to life. Thank you, Jesus, you show me the path of life. Following Jesus isn't easy, but it leads to overflowing life. I'm going to leave a couple of minutes just to be quiet. Then we're going to come and take communion. Um, we're trying to do this a little bit different way. We're going to sing a song after we've been quiet, and then I'm going to leave some space between the songs and uh, put bread and wine out the front, and I'll have blessed it. And you're going to come up when you feel ready, if you feel ready, to take communion. And then go and sit back down. If you can't uh, get up and come up, then ask the person next to you to bring you some back. If you want prayer, I'm going to be at the front praying for people as well. I'm happy to pray for anything. And we're going to sing some worship songs and just be in God's presence. But first of all, let's just be silent. Let's just be silent and ask the Spirit to speak to us.